Welcome to the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot Axelman. I'd like to do a video rebuttal to a letter written by Representative Brody Deshaies. I'm going to pull it up here. It was a letter that he told me he sent out to every member of the House Federal State Relations Committee, and he said that he's going to be sending it to every other state representative in the House before the vote. So, it had a bunch of reasons why state representatives should vote against Constitutional Amendment Concurrent Resolution Number 32, CACR 32, which is legislation that, if passed by the House and Senate with 60% majorities, would put independents on the ballot for the people to vote on, where it would need 66% or two-thirds to achieve the exit from the Union, so independence from D.C. He wrote this letter, and I read it, and it has all the typical arguments I actually debated this against Zach Campbell, I think, in November or October. And I'm sure Zach and the other uh, moderator and the people with the questions from the audience came up with all the same questions, but it's been a few months. So he wrote this letter. I emailed him back, you know, very politely. Thank you for the letter. Would you like to debate publicly on this topic for the benefit of everyone in New Hampshire, especially the legislators? And he said no, and I said, okay, so I'll write a rebuttal article. I'm just giving you a heads up. And I said, are you sure you don't want to debate? And he said, no. And I said, okay, thank you. Will anyone else, if you know of anyone else who wants to debate this, Republican, Democrat, state rep, citizen, anyone, I would love to debate any and all takers. And he, he didn't really answer again. He said, no, I'll just write the letter. And if you write a rebuttal, I'll write another rebuttal maybe. So, okay, no problem. I'm still looking for someone to debate me. I want um, the best of the best. So whoever you think is the best debater in the world, and or the best at articulating the message of union and against independence, please let me know. I want to debate them. The biggest heavyweight in the world. If it's Ted Cruz, he's a great debater. If it's Ben Shapiro, Mark Levin, the best in the world. I want to debate on independence and let's let's do it. Let's just throw down and do it. So we have the letter here and I'll publish this article soon. And I'll put this video and the article and the article in the show notes of the video and podcast. So I won't read it word for word. That would be a little too boring. He says that um, it purports to make New Hampshire a sovereign nation, this constitutional amendment. He says, this is New Hampshire state legislators essentially voting on articles of a secession. I am amazed that any lawmaker should have to pen a letter on this issue. Nonetheless, someone must explain why articles of secession are reckless and impossible. So he kind of has a little bit of a conundrum here already. Um, first, he could have been a little more clear by, by uh, confirming that it's not necessarily articles of secession, because even though this legislation is about state independence, it would have to pass the House and Senate and then pass two-thirds majority on the vote of the people on the ballot, like a ballot question in November of 22. So if the House passed it, the Senate would have to pass it with three-fifths, and the people would have to pass it. So he says it's impossible. He says it's articles of secession. doesn't mention that voters would have to approve it with a two-thirds supermajority. But then he also says it's impossible, but yet it's so likely that he's scared. He's frantically writing a letter begging every state rep to vote against it. So clearly he's scared it can pass. If he thought it wouldn't pass, he would waste his time writing a whole long sourced two and a half page letter to every state rep. All right. What's the next issue he has? Uh, part one, catastrophic consequences. He says, let's look at the logistics first. 32% of New Hampshire's total revenue comes from the federal government. He's saying that a third of, of the money that the state government spends, and the state government of New Hampshire spends around $6 billion a year. He says a third of it comes from the feds. I think he's actually 
incorrect here. I think it's complicated, but closer to half comes from the feds. So actually, he's he's has a better point than he thinks he has, but it's still a not a good point at all. It's actually null and void. So a third or a half. I, I think the Speaker of the House a few weeks ago told me that around half of the state budget comes from D.C. So if we leave D.C., half of our state budget, which is funded by D.C., wouldn't be funded, meaning we'd have to raise taxes on the state, right? So it kind of sounds like it might make sense at first, but when you think about it, wait, where does the D.C. government, D.C. politicians, federal government, where do they get money from? Yeah, they tax us in all the other 49 states, the people of all the states. So they tax us. I don't know. It's probably hard to figure out their, the exact federal income tax burden of all New Hampshire residents and workers combined, as well as other federal taxes like corporate tax, federal capital gains taxes, federal gasoline taxes, and all the other federal taxes. But we know that we send more than we get back, but I think it's a lot more. We get $3 billion a year from D.C. I would say we, we, we send, in total, with taxes, they steal from us, closer to 5 or 10 or $15 billion a year. So if we no longer are in the Union and D.C. is not giving us $3 billion, so that's a bad thing. So on one side of the ledger, we have $3 billion less, but on the other side, we're sending them like 5 or $10 billion less. So if we leave, we're going to keep maybe, you know, 3 to 6, 10, 15 mil billion more, right? So we all know that if we leave the Union, just think of it this way. Every single resident will save 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe $60,000 a year on average on taxes. I'm, I have a pretty average income in New Hampshire. I send uh, just federal income tax alone is $20,000, $30,000 a year. And my wife, similar, $20,000, $30,000 a year. So we, our household would save, I don't know, thirty, forty, $50,000 a year. So that's a lot of money. Now, with every single worker in New Hampshire saving that, plus corporate taxes will drop, plus um, all the other smaller federal taxes would, would drop, we would be fine. And as, as I write in my book, and as I said in the debate, it wouldn't just be fine. It wouldn't make up for it. It wouldn't be uh, even as far as revenue neutral. If we left the union, our tax savings, just the fact that we would no longer have any federal tax responsibilities, coupled with the elimination of all federal regulations, and the federal government has so many regulations, it costs the United States economy over $2 trillion a year, and that was an estimate as of a few years ago. So it may be closer to $3 trillion or more now. Trillions. Divide that up by uh, GDP or whatever per capita income into New Hampshire, and it's at least a few billion, a few hundred billion, right? So just the regulations might cost New Hampshire, I don't know, some billions, maybe tens or, or hundreds of billions of dollars, just the regulation. Now, it's kind of hard to understand this, but let me try to give an example. Every business in New Hampshire, New Hampshire has obviously a few thousands of businesses, maybe, maybe a million, and almost all of them have to comply with, with dozens or hundreds or thousands of federal regulations. Every single toilet and light bulb and fixture and uh, building and employment situation, obviously every contract, is governed by the federal government. They have 400 agencies, they have literally countless regulations, they can't count them all, so they must have billions of regulations. So, oh, looks like my uh, main video dropped out here. Thank God I got my back up here. All right, on to keep going with regulations, Everything they do, including employment, so you have to hire HR, and you have to hire compliance lawyers and HR specialists and so many other compliance agents in your company, and lawyers, that, that increases your expenses as a business, and you have to pass on those expenses to increase your, uh, your prices for your, your costs for your services or products. So any, any business that operates in New Hampshire because they have to obey federal law or face federal agents, you know, sending men with guns to harm them, 
they have to spend a lot more money than they would otherwise. Once we leave the union, no more federal regulations, we're saving trillions of dollars a year in New Hampshire alone, maybe a few hundred billion a year. So now take those two together. No more regulations, no more federal regulations, which is where most of the regulations are, and no more federal taxes, and we would have a boom like never before in history of humanity. Screw World War II, Industrial Revolution, screw all the biggest booms, screw uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and the American Revolution. We would have the biggest economic boom in history of existence, not even close by far. So you think Hong Kong or uh, Singapore or whatever Japan has big economic prosperity and freedom and all that, all that, we're talking different level. We will have the biggest boom ever. New Hampshire will become the most prosperous nation in history of existence. Now, I will concede there is one caveat. Part of prosperity in this modern world with, with massive levels of prosperity focuses or relies on specialization, which essentially means um, relatively unrestricted or unrestricted free trade internationally. Now, the, the one thing, and we're getting off into attention here, the, the one thing that is an issue with New Hampshire independence that people are afraid of that it has any legitimacy at all, because almost everything they say is ridiculous. Um, but the one, the one reservation that has legitimacy is embargo. If we leave and the federal government embargoes us, which is an act of war, but they might still do it because they are, they are psychopaths. That's why we're leaving them. They're, they're violent criminal sociopaths. If they do embargo us and declare war, then our economy will be hurt. And, and then we may not be the most prosperous economy in the world because we'll have no interstate trade with anyone. Now, even if they do embargo us, we may still have trade with other states in the world. Maybe Texas, maybe Vermont, maybe China, Russia, who knows. But there's still a pretty good chance that even if they embargo us, that we would have international trade with other states. But that is the one caveat to our economic prosperity. I'll admit that a lot of things rely on interstate trade. And again, we, pr we produce uh, technology, hospitality. We produce a lot of technology and a whole lot of stuff in the state. So other states would want to trade with us. We want to trade with them. It's called specialization. It's how the modern economy works. All right. So I answer that in the letter rebuttal. Next, he says it would have a terrible impact on state collective revenue. This doesn't make sense. This is the same as his first issue. It says that we would have it would have to increase taxes because we, we wouldn't have any more federal income taxes and the money come, coming from D.C. Because, again, if D.C. is not stealing any money and not giving any money to the state government, then the state government would technically have a shortfall. So we'd have billions of dollars more in the state, but technically the government, the state government of New Hampshire, would only have $3 billion, not $6 billion. So either they can cut spending or they can uh, increase tax receipts in some other way or they can raise money voluntarily like – in, in the articles and books I've written about how governments can and do already raise some money voluntarily, or yes, they can increase taxes. It's a possibility. I don't think they would, but even if they did to make up for the budget shortfall of $3 billion, still on the net, we would have a, a higher net income. We would pay overall less taxes. Because again, unless they instituted the same exact federal income tax rates, unless the state government of New Hampshire implemented a you know seven-bracketed tiered system of like 10% uh, to 35% or whatever it is now, which they wouldn't do with effective tax rates of 20, 25, 30% for me. Unless they did that, we'd be paying overall less taxes, right? All right. What's next? He says, other nations would not recognize New Hampshire as a sovereign nation. We would become a destitute hermit republic. No one would be able to travel to our state, killing tourism, our largest industry. And we would lack the funds and infrastructure to protect our borders. New Hampshire would be alone and vulnerable in a globalizing world. So he makes a few claims here that he has issues that he's afraid of. All of them are, are not true or, or they're uh, conjecture. They're, just, they're based on nothing, though. The only thing we have to go on is other states. Now, over the last uh, 80 years since like World War II, the amount of countries in the world increased 
from uh, 45, I believe, to like 196. So increased by uh, over 100, like 150. The world governments recognize those world governments. They recognize those states. Obviously, they're recognized. Go, go Google it. Go look at Wikipedia. They're recognized by almost everyone. Now, there are some complicated scenarios in which some state governments refuse to recognize others. For instance, some anti-Semitic states may not recognize Israel. Some may recognize Palestine. Some may recognize both or neither. I don't know. Some recognize China. Some recognize Taiwan. Some both. But China says if you recognize Taiwan, you're essentially saying an F you to us. So then we're not going to want to be recognized by you or, or we won't trade with you. So there are some complicated um, uh, bickering issues there. But in general, roughly 196, almost every state, even the tiny, tiny, tiny states, uh, you know, Andorra, tiny states in Africa, um, are these tiny nations of, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand people. 100,000 people, much less than New Hampshire. There are, I think, 20 states, 15 or 20 states in the world, nations, recognized countries that are smaller population than New Hampshire and much less prosperous. I, I think they all have a much, much lower uh, median household income. So New Hampshire would not be the smallest state, maybe 20th smallest, maybe, uh, as far as nations in the world. And again, state is a synonym with, with the country. So that's not an issue. As far as all we have to go on is history. This hasn't happened yet, so let's look at the other states. They've all been recognized. It happened peacefully. There's independence movements. States split because they get too big. People grow, right? Um, Korea was a few people, then a mil few million people. Other countries were millions, then millions more, and then they split up, right? That's just it's just what happens. That's a natural way of things. China is now 1.3 billion. It should split up, but it has a really, really strong tyrant. Um, and it was created more as, as one country, essentially, whereas the United States is 50 different states individually in one union. So we, we are uh, more likely to break up in that sense. So what else does he say here? We'd become a destitute hermit republic. No, no one would travel or trade with us. Um, again, there's no reason to think that. It, right now, New Hampshire is run by a very libertarian legislature. And the, one of the biggest, maybe the foundational uh, principle of libertarian philosophy is we believe in totally free freedom of movement, free travel. We believe in very little borders, if any. So why would we think that the state government, once we left the Union, would be any different? We would allow for free travel. Now, would the United States let us travel to them? Well, the United States government, Democrats, Republicans, everyone in D.C., is very much big on proudly supporting free movement, open borders, and they believe even people from Mexico and from all over the world have a right to travel into the United States unrestricted and live their lives. So again, it would be the biggest reversal of policy maybe ever if the United States or if New Hampshire suddenly didn't allow for travel. So I don't know why he would say this. There's no evidence to say this would be the case. Um, lack funds, infrastructure to protect our borders. That doesn't make sense. We wouldn't lack funds by explaining to the first part. We would have more funds than ever before. We would be richer than ever before if we were dependent from the Union. Infrastructure to protect our borders. I don't know if we'd want a Great Wall of China. Probably not. Um, I probably don't support it. The libertarian-minded legislature of New Hampshire definitely would not support a big wall on the border, I don't think. Again, we'd have a lot of free movement, so we wouldn't need infrastructure to protect our borders that much. Yes, we would have a military. We would be increasing the, the strength of our, of our state military, our National Guard. But yeah, that's not really an issue. New Hampshire will be alone and vulnerable in a globalizing world. No, I discussed it in the first part. As long as the United States or some other uh, dictatorship wouldn't prevent us with an embargo, we would love to trade with everyone in the world. So we'd love it. So I don't know why he'd say that no one would trade with us or we wouldn't trade with them. That doesn't really make sense. Then he says, federal officials with the backing of the U.S. military, the most well-funded and prepared military in the world, would never allow New Hampshire to secede. So this is where it gets, it gets really bad for him because 
he says, well, even if you could secede, New Ham- the United States military would just kill all of us. Okay, so essentially what he's saying is, you're in an abusive relationship. Okay, I'll admit that. But if you leave, we'll kill you. But don't leave us, because we're totally normal. We're in a good union. But if you leave, I'll kill you. So imagine if you're, if you're a girl and your husband's beating you, and you say, hey, I'm thinking about divorcing you. And he says, no, I'm normal. You know, I love you. We get along fine. If you leave, I'll kill you. Yeah, yeah, don't leave, don't leave. Um, you see know what I mean? So he's giving you more reason to leave. So he's saying, don't leave us. We're fine. But if you do leave, I will kill you if you try. Yes, yeah, so that doesn't make sense. Um, they're threatening to kill us, which we know that there is a threat. There's a possibility that they would kill us. That is more reason to leave. It means they're violent sociopaths who are only keeping us together by force, right? That guy in the example, is it a good relationship? His wife's only staying because he's threatening to kill her. That's not a good marriage. They shouldn't stay together. If I were a, a marriage counselor, I would say you shouldn't stay together. It's not healthy. Not a good relationship. Just end it. He says, every New Hampshire guardsman swears an oath to the U.S. Constitution and New Hampshire Constitution. Yeah, well, clearly they don't care about the oaths because if they did, they would arrest everyone who violates the Bill of Rights, which includes the Second Amendment, meaning totally total uh, gun freedom, and it, vi- and it prevents the government or should prevent the government from passing any gun laws. The federal government has millions of gun laws, yet the New Hampshire Guardsmen clearly are not that um, uh, obedient to the Constitution because they have not arrested everyone in Congress. So, yeah, he, sh- he shouldn't mention the Constitution because he'll lose that argument because... If, if constitutions actually mattered and bound the government and restricted them from doing certain things, then we wouldn't be in this mess. So he says, dual enlistment, under which persons enlist in state militias, also simultaneously enlist in the National Guard of the United States. When National Guard units are called to active duty in the federal service, guardsmen are relieved of their status in the state militia. Eh, not really, and that's not how it's supposed to work. Um, the New Hampshire National Guard would immediately help federal troops reestablish control over any purportedly sovereign New Hampshire. Again, he's saying essentially might makes right, and the people here who live in New Hampshire who are in the state militia, the National Guard, would go and support the U.S. military even if, if it meant killing everyone in New Hampshire. So again, he's, he's not saying it that clearly, but that's essentially what he's saying because that's all he could mean. Military you know, action means killing. That's all militaries do. That. They can kill. That's their one tool. It's killing. So he's saying, don't leave because then some of your neighbors who are in the National Guard might kill you. I don't think so, but if that's the case, let it be. If you want to kill me for doing nothing violent for peacefully asserting that I want self-governance, independence, then, then kill me if, that, if that's the case, if that's what you want to do. So then he says, he's kind of repeating the same things again and again. The letter goes on to say in the second part, part two, unquestionably unconstitutional. New Hampshire could never survive as a sovereign nation. You may say to yourself, out of principle, we should still leave the union and see what happens. But articles of secession are unconstitutional and therefore impossible. Then, all right, then why is he writing his letter if he's not afraid? Clearly he's afraid he could pass. Any attempt to make New Hampshire a sovereign nation only purports to do so and is illegitimate. Okay, we have to have a discussion about legitimacy. Nothing that you do against tyrants is legitimate. Tyrants who are in the government, by definition, are the government. Meaning, by definition, they make the laws. Yes, I know, certain laws are unconstitutional. Once in a while, the circus show of the courts that work for the government say the same government's laws are unconstitutional, and they strike down their own government because they say we have separation of powers. Yay, see, let's restore confidence in the uh, courts and separation of powers and all that crap. It's once in a while. They do it just to keep us from rebelling, right? So, yeah, it's BS. Because it doesn't really mean anything, and they don't really do that every time. Again, if, if they really, if courts really struck down unconstitutional laws, we'd have zero gun laws anywhere in the United States. And if that were the case, California would have seceded a long time ago, as well as New York and New Jersey and every Democrat state. So, all right, where were we? It was illegitimate, yeah. So, when, we, when the United States... The, revolutionaries, the revolutionists in the colonies in 1776 rebelled against the crown, 
the British king. Was that legitimate? Hell no. By every single measure, it was legitimate. It was a violation of the law. It was disrespectful to the government. They were insurrectionists. They were rebels. They were committing treason. And if they were caught, they would have been killed. As they should have. They were committing a crime. So, when the king, I'm sure at some point said during the war, and when the British soldiers said, My good sir, that is not legitimate. The American colonists were probably saying, Yeah, we know, dude. That's, that's not really the point, if it's legitimate or not. Just like when the uh, abusive husband tells the woman who's running away as she's running, that's not legitimate. Dude, she doesn't care. We're already past legitimacy. You know what I mean? It's not legitimate to beat your wife, bro. Like, it, you know, so, yeah. It's a horrible, horrible argument of legitimacy. All right, now he, he gets even smarter. Um, he's going to educate us about the courts. The first legal argument, why states cannot secede from the Union, is reasonably understandable. The federal government is the only legitimate power to admit new states and extend or retract territorial boundaries. Yeah. The federal government, according to the Constitution, can do that. And states can't do that, but we're not trying to do that. We're trying to leave, not join the Union. Big difference. Um, for instance, it takes two to agree to a marriage, but it only takes one to leave, right? So totally different things. Divorce and marriage are very different. All right. He says, Nowhere in our U.S. Constitution does it allow the federal government to permit any state to secede. Oh, my God. This is such mental gymnastics. You see what he's doing here? So we all understand the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Clearly says, anything not expressly delegated to the federal government in this constitution is a power not given to the federal government and reserved to the states and or to the people. So the government only has the powers listed, enumerated, clearly in the constitution. It says that this, the federal government has the power to coin new money. It says the federal government has the power to declare war. They have power to declare taxes and um, raise debt, collect debt. You know, they have certain powers. What's not listed is preventing, preventing secession. Meaning, secession is legal, according to the Constitution. The founders were well aware of what secession was. In fact, they just did it, like a minute ago, in 1776. If they wanted the federal government to prevent, or if they wanted secession to be illegal, they would have said, no state shall leave the Union without the consent of the federal government. They did not say that in the Constitution. But what he says here, he tries to use the same logic again. He's trying to be smart. He tries to use the same logic backwards. He says, it's an affirmative power. Nowhere in the Constitution does the, does the Constitution grant the federal government to grant the power to a state to secede. You see how backward this is? So, yeah. Um, this doesn't make sense. Our Constitution is quite clear on this issue. See Article 4, Section 3. Yeah, I read that article, and it just says what he said above. Only the federal government can admit new states. It doesn't say the federal government can prevent or should prevent or states are prevented from leaving. Big difference. All right. Um, no state constitution has ever suggested that states hold this power. Actually, I think some state constitutions do. The, and I think I reference here in the article, the state constitution of New Hampshire clearly makes some, some big points about independence. It also says when the government becomes tyrannical, it's your duty to rebel. And the government is tyrannical. If, if this is not tyrannical, what the hell is tyranny? Constitutions are implicit contracts with citizens, he says, that grant governments specific powers. Yeah, that's what I was saying, dude. With no power explicitly given allowing secession, no state can ever secede. Again, it's backwards. It's like saying no human can blink or drink water because the Constitution, you know, enumerated powers and all that, doesn't say specifically that the federal government is permitted to grant people the power to drink water. Therefore, no one can drink water. You see the logic? That Amazing. All right. So... I answer that in the article as well, and you'll, you'll see my rebuttal to that. I mentioned the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Then he says, another argument lies in the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. Fuck the courts. Sorry, not sorry. 
I don't care. Again, Texas v. White didn't really say what he thinks it said, but it doesn't really matter. That was the Supreme Court decision after the Civil War in 1869, just to essentially make it uh, post-facto legal to um, prevent secession. So that, that's what the reason they did that court case. But it doesn't really matter. Like I said, screw the courts. If the courts did say, forget Texas v. White, if the courts ruled tomorrow in, you know, Axelman versus United States, if they ruled secession is 100% illegal, I don't care. The courts can say that. That's the government. The court is the government. They work for the government, obviously. I know what the paycheck says. It says the United States government. You can't say they're a separate power. It's all BS. Separate branch and all that. There is no separation of powers. They're literally appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Literally, legislative and executive powers are what create them. So, anyway, even if they did rule that we can't secede, it doesn't matter. That's the government. The British government said, I'm sure they said, you can't secede. You better not dare secede. You cannot leave the king. Okay, I don't care what you're saying. We're leaving you. We're not asking you for a certain type of arrangement or asking to decrease taxes or asking for a new law. We're leaving altogether. Again, I'll go back to the abused wife. She's not asking for a new car for her birthday for her husband or for her husband to wash the dishes. She's not negotiating. She's done negotiating. She's leaving. He can't say, well, you can't leave and I'm not going to wash dishes. Dude, I don't care. I'm leaving. Bye. Done. Leaving. So it doesn't necessarily matter if the government says you can't leave. We're leaving. But we'll entertain it for a second. In the Supreme Court majority decision in Texas versus White, Chief Justice Solomon Chase explained that the Union began during the Revolutionary War among the colonies. In his decision, he writes, the Union was confirmed and strengthened and received definite form and character and sanction from the Articles of Confederation, and by these, the Union was solemnly declared to be perpetual. Okay, you say it's perpetual, I don't. And again, it can't be perpetual. This one, one a-hole politician who thinks he's God in a black robe saying it's perpetual doesn't make it so. In fact, nothing can. Let's go back to common law. Let's go back to the most uh, internationally recognized foundational principles of contract law, right? What's the basics? Only a person of sound mind, an adult, like not a five-year-old, not someone with mental retardation, only an adult who knows what he's doing, a competent person, can sign a contract and only binding himself. You can't bind your spouse or your child or your grandchildren or your great-great-great-great-grandchildren not even born yet, right? You can't bind onto a certain contract. I can sign a contract saying, I will work for you for one year for $1 million. I can do that. I cannot sign that for my kids. I, I can't. I can't sign it for my neighbor. I can't say, I'm signing. My neighbor will work for you. I can't compel them to do that. I'm, are they my slave, my property? You can't do that. What the U.S. Constitution uh, authors purported to do was to sign a contract, the Constitution, saying that the federal government has the power. They rule over us. They can you know, pass laws for eternity. Meaning that the grandchildren of the federal government, if it's their kids or the politician's kids or whoever becomes the D.C. politician's next, let's imagine it's their grandkids, it's essentially saying that their grandkids, Thomas Jefferson's great-great-great-great-grandkids, which essentially is me or others around my age, have to be slaves, meaning listen to the government. How can you sign a contract binding your descendants seven generations away to someone else's descendants seven generations away? You can't. They don't even exist yet. Not to mention immigrants or others who move here, but even if it is your descendants, you can't bind your descendants, no matter what. I get it, parents have some parental control over their kids, limited property rights, I get it. But your grandkids, hell no. People 7, 8, 10, 15 generations, whatever 240 years is, uh, 240 years away, you can't bind them in perpetuity to be slaves, the slave masters in the government. So those who say the U.S. Constitution is a contract are ridiculous, and, and there's no, no argument, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's not a contract, but even if it were... It, it couldn't have been signed, and it was, it was 
totally illegitimate on its face. Now, let's go a step further. Let's say it's a contract and it was legitimate, and somehow I, my soul was there, like an old uh, Gilgul, which is like biblical speak for my old soul was um, reincarnation, I believe. So let's say my soul was there, and I was there with Thomas Jefferson and John Hancock, George Washington, and I signed the Constitution, and my soul was there, and I, and I uh, approved of it. Let's say I consented to the Constitution, meaning even though I was born 240 years later, my, my soul was there, right? There's still, the U.S. Constitution would be totally null and void diligent, you know why? It's a contract. Okay, you're arguing it's a contract? Okay, let's do it. The most foundational principle of contracts throughout the world, in all of history, in all of the universe, I'm sure aliens also have this principle, is that if one side totally, willfully violates the living shit out of a contract numerous times and does not grant any kind of relief for the other party, the other party can void the contract and totally break off the contract, right? Again, that's very, very simple. I'm pretty sure every contract in the universe is like this. That's just how it works. So if, if it's not specifically written, we can assume that every contract, if it's violated, most contracts say if one party violates it, the other can walk away, but it's this is presumed to be in every contract. You have to act in good faith, and if you violate the hell out of it, you know, and, and uh, you keep violating it numerous times, the other party can void it. So the two parties are the people and the United States government. Have one of those parties violated the Constitution? Yes. The Constitution clearly has a Bill of Rights, which prevents any gun laws, any violations of freedom of speech or assembly or gathering or petitions, uh, prevents wireless searches and demands due process in the Fourth and Fifth Amendments and Fourteenth Amendment and Ninth and Tenth Amendments. All the powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and the people, respectively. Has the federal government violated that? Hell yeah, they have. Millions, billions of times, right? So they've violated it so many times you know, infinite times, and they do so increasingly every day for 240 years, so we can void it and walk away. So if it were a contract, we can very easily say we're going to void it, we're breaking it off, no thanks, bye. So yeah, the, the contract argument is just terrible. All right, the last constitutional argument, he says, is straightforward. It does not matter whether or not secession is illegal. What matters is that the Union beat the Confederacy in the Civil War. Once this happened, the illegality of unilateral secession was de facto established. Oh my god. He's literally saying, might makes right. They tried to leave. They killed 700,000 people in this war. Still the bloodiest war in history of the United States. Bloodiest war ever. Thanks, Lincoln. 700,000 Americans died, but you got back then was a big percentage of the population. He's saying, might makes right. He's saying it was settled. The conclusion of the Civil War. They beat them, so it's de facto illegal. Oh my god. Such a bad argument. I shouldn't even waste time on it. It's just really, really, really bad. Very sad that he would make that argument. That, that, that's the worst of all the arguments. He's saying might makes right. So again, we'll go back to the abused woman. So imagine if the police, the court said, well, he beat the hell out of you. He was going to kill you. He said he was going to kill you. He shot at you and you left. But since he caught you and beat you up, it's de facto illegal to leave him. So I'm sorry, but you're going to have to stay with him forever. Again, nobody would think that's a serious argument. It's a horrible argument. And this is the, the very worst one they make, but people still keep making it. All right. Well, the last thing he says here, I believe, is, which leads us to another question. Can state leaders introduce or vote on articles of secession? No, they cannot. And that is not my opinion. It is what our Constitution explicitly states. The 14th Amendment, Article 3, is very clear. No state legislator shall engage in rebellion against the Constitution. Voting for New Hampshire's proposed articles of secession is rebellion against the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, he's not, he's not totally wrong there. It essentially is um, you know, rebelling against the Constitution. It would be the casting a vote to rebel against the Union, and therefore the same Constitution establishing the perpetual Union. Again, it's not perpetual, but yeah, we are voting against the Constitution. Because, like, like Lysander Spooner said years ago, like 1800, 
the U.S. Constitution has either created this government that we have, the tyrannical government, or it has been powerless to prevent it from becoming this tyrannical government. Either way, it is unfit to exist. So, um, it's violated repeatedly and increasingly by the United States government every day for 240 years. There is no reason anyone understanding any logic or with a single brain cell can have any reason to believe that these increasing violations of the Constitution will ever stop. Not if we get back Congress in 2022, not if we sue them in a federal court, never don't you stop. There's no reason to believe the trend that's been going one way is going to suddenly turn around. If the train is going a thousand miles per hour, also on a downhill, and it's got a full tank of gas or whatever, there's no reason to logically think it's going to suddenly turn around on a dime in an instant. It's not going to happen. All the momentum is going one way. There's no reason. There's no force that can act upon it that would make you think that it's going to go the other way. There's no reason. So, yeah, not perpetual union. And um, our, again, our legislators violating the Constitution, yeah, but clearly if people in Congress can violate it a million times, we can do it once to leave. Um, if the husband can, can violate a million laws beating up his abusive spouse, his spouse can break a single law, like smash a window to leave. I'm okay with that. I think I'll live. Um, you know, the other thing he says is it's, it's like rebellion. And again, same with the, with the revolution, the revolution against Britain was illegal, but that's fine. All right. I think the last thing here he says here is state lawmakers have also introduced legislation. Oh yeah, I wrote about this. House Bill um, 1007 by Bill Marsh, the, the newest Democrat. He defected from Republicans as a Democrat because he realized he's a corona fascist, he's a, he's a socialist, he um, hates freedom. So he left the Democrat Party and one of the first things he did was propose a bill to make, make anyone ineligible to hold office in New Hampshire in, in the state house or senate if they engage in insurrection. And you all know this is because of January 6th, but he also defines in the bill, he defines insurrection as anyone who even supports independence at all. So he would throw out all the, the nine sponsors and the dozens more who support independence who will vote yes on this bill. And I heard from another one earlier today that he will vote yes on this bill. And another one told me she'll vote yes a few days ago. So we got at least a few more besides the sponsors. And who knows, maybe we'll get a surprise and they'll pass. Um, yeah, he wants to throw them all out of the house. That's just a funny bill and it violates um, free speech and a lot of other issues. All right, then he just says, I encourage fellow lawmakers to vote against this Articles of Secession, and it's, it's horrible. The question of unilateral state secession died in the Apotomics. All right, great. So I said, I encourage lawmakers to support the natural right to self-governance and reject paranoid propaganda and protect themselves from the tyrants in D.C. and reject the notion that might make right. Help us protect the smallest minority, the individual. All right, and then I have some further reading here in the article. Tons of other articles in a few books about why we should support independence. And one of them is just 85 reasons that New Hampshire should divorce DC politicians once and for all. Again, I don't have time to read all 85. Maybe I could read a few. Without the federal income tax, we'd save $25,000, $30,000 a year right off the bat. No more IRS, no more ATF, no more CDC. I could just list 400 agencies, but that'd be too easy. Um, what else do we have here? I don't trust Congress to run my life. I trust me and my state to run it a lot, a lot better than Congress could. Um, Federal government benefits from untrustworthy elections. HR1 will make every election in every state forever, like the 2020 election with um, mail-in cheating. So civil asset forfeiture, eminent domain, cannabis being a Schedule One substance, all these issues are federal issues. They all go away overnight if we leave the union. So check out libertyblock.com for more. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.